When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ready? Play. I cannot hear you. I don't know if that's... I need to unmute myself. Can you hear me now? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm sure you can all imagine what I was saying. Uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and all the rest of it. Uh, Damien, you've had a haircut. Indeed, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm very good at noticing those things. Other things I'm pretty good at noticing is tennis results. And uh, I'm aware that there are four winners this week uh, from the upper echelons, at least, of the sport and some may be surprising some less so i'll just begin by introducing those four winners in a way and then i'll come to you damien probably to expand on rotterdam first of all i know brian is going to join us but listen uh, what have we had go on in the last seven days well daniel medvedev has won uh, his first tournament i believe in about six months in rotterdam the atp 500 there uh, beating Yannick Sinner in three sets. We've also had Igor Sviontek demolishing just about everybody in Doha uh, to win her first title of the year. And there were other titles for Taylor Fritz, perhaps a little bit less surprisingly, at least in the manner that he did it, um, beating Kitsmanovic in the final there. And I'm missing one. Oh, of course, Carlos Alcaraz returning to not just the tour, but also to form. Let's begin with Daniel Medvedev, Damien. I'm surprised. Are you? Um, to an extent. Um, we still have to see, you know, because as you said, I mean, he won Vienna last year, right? And then it didn't really seem to revive him. Um, you know, he after Vienna, I think he lost to the minor in Paris, and then, which of course was probably related to fatigue, but then also, of course, didn't go out of groups at the ATP finals. All matches were super close, but you could still see that there are some confidence issues. So I, I don't know if it's, you know, if it's enough. Uh, he uh, beat a very strong set of opponents for sure. But then again, Ojeradi Asim, Dimitrov, these guys always struggled against him. Sinner is now 0-5 and five against him, which is pretty crazy. But then again, a lot of these ma their matches were close. Uh, here okay. it kind of seemed like maybe, um, you know, maybe the, the run from Montpellier, maybe the just the amount of tennis that Sinner has had recently, uh, along with the tight first set, kind of had him um, out of energy in the in the latter two. So I, I don't know if that means that Daniel Medvedev is back. 
it's definitely a good sign, of course, for him after that uh, Sebastian Corda lost at the Australian Open, which again is no shame, but the way that, you know, the the manner in which he lost to Corda was pretty, um, well, terrifying from, from his perspective, from the perspective of his fans. Um, yeah. yeah, whether this goes on, um, in Vienna, we also kind of thought, especially t- together with uh, Nur Sultan, right? Or Astana or whatever the city is called right now because they change it after every few months. <laughs> but in that Ka- Kazakhstan event, uh, the uh, when he played Djokovic in the semis, of course, had an injury uh, and had to retire after the second set. But that, together with Vienna, that was sort of our, you know, we were thinking that he's back now. Um, yeah. It wasn't really the case. So, um, yeah, we still have to see what's going to happen later. Of course, he's in Doha. Um, Rotterdam, although um, it has to be said that in the past, it didn't really, uh, like the conditions didn't really suit him. Uh, there was, um, I think the last two times he played Rotterdam, he actually lost to Lajovic and Pospisil in the first uh, in the first matches he played. Um, usually was kind of slow, kind of too slow for him. So, uh, in that sense as well, it's a it's a very good sign. But yeah, the the the, the clean wins over Dimitrov, Ozharyasim, I think it's just uh, more of um, they, they more t- t- tell us more about how much these guys hate playing Daniel Medvedev. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess I was uh, hi Brian. By the way, we'll we'll come to you with some sort of Daniel Medvedev thoughts, but also we'll go into a, a deeper thoughts from you on on Delray Beach shortly. How are you doing, Brian? By the way. I'm doing great. How are you, gentlemen? Not bad. Not bad. It's pretty early in the morning for you. Well, just gone nine o'clock, but I know you've been up super early because I th- got a message from you at about 6.45 a.m., I think, your time. Uh, so I know you've been out and about, but you are a family man. So I know there's no there's no lounging around on a Monday morning for you. No. Um, Brian, what are your thoughts on Medvedev generally? Because I think most of us have been pressing the panic button for the last 12 months. I love him. He's my favorite male player. So let's start with that. So um, I've been very, um, what's the right word to use? Uh, Disappointed is not the right word because he's still ranked really high. But I'll tell you this. I've been arguing with people on social media. Everyone's like, Medvedev lost his edge ever since the AO final collapse against Nadal. My argument to that is no. I think he's lost his edge. I 100% agree with that. I think it's the birth of his daughter. Okay. That changes a man, that changes your life, that changes your edge, that may take a little bit of fire out of your belly. And I think I saw that over the last nine to 10 months with with Medibear. You know, we saw that arrogant cockiness that got him through a lot of matches, intimidated his opponents, got the crowd either on his side or against him. I think he likes both. I think he likes being the villain and the hero on the court back in 2020, 2021. Didn't see that much in 22. Uh, all the Everything stacked against him against Sinner. Sinner looked good early on. I watched that match. I, I bet on Medibear. Um, good result there. Uh, very happy to see him win this tournament. I think this hopefully could be the stepping stone. But, of course, you know, we're going to, you know, eventually going to get into the heart of the spring after Indian Wells in Miami. Then it's going to get a little murky on the clay. But – Hopefully, Medi can take this, and I'd love to see him win either in Miami or out west at Indian Wells. I still think there are bigger tests to come, but on a positive note, Damien, in comparison to uh, – you mentioned the title in Vienna. 
Uh, I also think you're right. I think his performance against Djokovic at the same time of the year was a mini win for Medvedev in terms of the perspective. Um, but on a, on a slightly more positive note, also regarding this title, it's an ATP 500, therefore no different to Vienna. But the run to that... Is the microphone out? or John's I... mic is out. Yeah. Yeah, we lost it. Good. We can hear you again. For some reason, it just zoned out. But listen, the the um the the two five hundred titles for me that he's won in Vienna and Rotterdam are pretty different, at least in terms of the opponents that he skittled over on the way. I mean, Shapovalov was his win in the final in the five hundred. I know he beat uh, a fairly sort of rusty looking Dominic team en route to that title, but um my views in that I kept thinking he was going to lose here. I kept thinking when he played Felix, I thought he's going to come unstuck. I actually thought, especially having lost the first set, I thought he would lose to Sinner having lost that first set. And I wasn't sure. I know you mentioned the good record he had. So that's the positive. But if Daniel Medvedev is back, I think we need to wait until we see. It's basically he's got to win a slam at some point the rest of his career before we say, yes, he's back. Um uh, you know, I remember when Nadal and Djokovic have been through their sticky spells in 2015 to 2018. The two players had their respective sticky spells and they would do OK and they would stay in the top 10 because of certain results. But it wasn't until we saw a slam run from Djokovic at Wimbledon in 2018, uh, Nadal getting to the final of Australia of 2017 that we were like, OK, I think they're. Their, their troubles are gone. Until we see that, I think we can't say the same for Medvedev. Any other thoughts on this tournament, Damien? Uh, Medvedev, Rotterdam? Or Medvedev, in Rotterdam, or Rotterdam in general? Um, you know, I, I kind of have to, I guess, mention the, the semi-final run of Talon Griekspor, who certainly looks like a guy who will break, um, I don't know, the top 30 this year or something like that. There's basically not that much to defend for him uh, and, you know, after this point. Uh, he is only defending one challenger title in July and then also a couple of main tour quarterfinals, which kind of tells you how in 2022 he failed to adapt uh, to uh, to the biggest stages. Uh, looks like he's doing it now. And um, although I think he has a pretty tough draw in the opening round next week, but uh, yeah, still with the, with the sort of explosive game that he's been showing and yeah, the fact that he's just not defending that much. And he was very close to Sinner. He just couldn't really touch him on serve. Um, so uh, so that was pretty fun. And of course, Sinner, you know, still being one of the, uh, I don't know, top five players in the world indoors, probably, uh, but just came up short in the final. So that's that, that was also one of the the stories of it. Uh, he is going to play one more indoor event before before Indian Wells Miami, of course. Um, Brian, what do we think about Sinner? Because, as I say, 45 minutes into that match, uh, lots of positivity was being spread, including by me, I think, on Twitter. But then suddenly the clouds reemerge at the end and it's like, I'm not sure if he's got the game to go to the absolute top. Where do you stand on Yannick? I don't think he's a top five player. People love the guy. I'm not a Sinner guy. I don't think he is an elite top five, top six player. There is a mental block there for Sinner. He, he had every opportunity to, you know, was it 5-1 in the first set? Still won the first set, but didn't he have him on the ropes at 5? Let's say 5-2. had to be 5-2, right? I mean, 
you got to finish these guys. You can't waste energy. You can't get this back to 7-5. I feel like if Sinner could have cruised to a 6-2 or 6-3 first set win, that changes the dynamic of the whole match moving forward. I mean, Sinner is an incredible player. He's an elite, you know, top 15 player for years to come. Now, I think if Nadal and Djokovic exit the party two years from now, then that's going to open up the doors for everybody. Maybe Sinner takes advantage of it. I have to be honest with you. Um, I was impressed with the Sissipas result. That that was good for him. He finally broke through after that heartbreaking loss down under. Um, but, yeah, I mean, listen, it's a great – listen, when you're making a finals of a 500, that was a good 500. I mean, that was a very, very good uh, tournament. And Sinner's path, um, you know, not the hardest path, but that wasn't easy to advance through uh, Stefanos in, in, in the quarterfinals. Um, I would say the theme for that would be lost opportunity against Medic. That would have been a huge win there. And then I would say major lost opportunity. Uh, this may, this is a random name for you, Su Wan Quan. I mean, he should have beat Zverev. I mean, he that first game was a horrific serving game. And then from there, Zverev didn't even want to be there. I mean, you could just tell the body language was horrific most of the time. Um, I was just disappointed. Like, I, I know Zverev doesn't like that venue. There's no secret around that. But I felt like Zverev could have uh, made a little bit more of a run in this tournament. Would have loved to see it. But um, that those are the two things that really stand out was Zverev's, you know, body language throughout the whole first uh, match against Kwan, second round where he lost, and then center. Again, you know, you just you can't give up those opportunities. You should have beat Medi 6-2 or 6-3, and you probably could have cruised to a second set win. Interesting, yeah. Any other final thoughts on uh, Rotterdam? Any other highlights or lowlights, Damien? Oof, um, yeah, you kind of surprised me. I, I remember we both uh, picked uh, Rune, I think, yeah. to win this. Yeah. When, we, when we talked about it last week, of course, he was injured against Brouwer, but um, you know, it was still a pretty good run for the Dutchman who actually like puts himself in contention for a top 100 spot at, le- at least until his quarterfinal Houston points drop. Um, but um, well, um, he played for the top 100 against Talon Greeksport in that Dutch all Dutch wildcard quarterfinal. So this is certainly something that I will remember. Um, in regards to Sinner, yeah, I, I think he's just a top five player indoors, but um, otherwise not so much. And uh, he would really love an indoor slam, but uh, of course that's not really going to happen. And uh, you know, it's not like he's done well at the at the biggest um, ATP thousand and the only ATP thousand indoors in Paris, where I think he's yet to win a match actually. So, okay, um, okay, let's move on to uh, let's move on to Razor's favorite tournament of the year, and I know you were there uh, just a few days ago. Uh, tell us about Delray Beach, Brian. But also, let's begin with a certain world number 784, uh, Matija Pekotic, uh, and his incredible win against Jack Sock, Brian. Well, per- the perfect storm, right? I mean, if you're going to play anybody and pull off an upset, you're going to want to play Jack Sock. Because <laughs> when the chip, when the, no, it sucks. It, I mean, it sucks because he's such a great doubles player and, what he did at Labor Cup was miraculous uh, whenever that was five, six months ago. But this guy has the worst body language and he doesn't care. You know, he only cares out there when he has when he's the underdog and he has something to prove, especially against Americans. Right. Like when he played Fritz in Dallas, that first set, that was some good tennis by Jack Sock. Now coached by a buddy of mine, Nick Monroe, played at UNC when I played at NC State. Um 
that was a pathetic second and third set performance by Sock. You know, good, good for um, good for this story to emerge. Everybody talked about it while I was there in Delray. I didn't see it in Delray because I was still in North Carolina. I flew out uh, the day after. Um, you know, they played, but it's a wonderful story. You know, it's, it's, it's something out of a movie, but you know, what, what can, what, what can you do now with it? You know, I, I hope there's some, some uh, more opportunities for him moving forward, but um, perfect storm. That's the guy you want to play. Jack sock. You break him once. And, and, I mean, he, he was done. He, you could, you could clearly tell he wanted to check out. He wanted to pick up his paycheck. He wanted to get a great meal on Atlantic Avenue and head back to Charlotte, North Carolina, because that is exactly what I saw on TV. All right. And tell us what else you were up to before we get into some of the other matches in Delray Beach and, and Taylor Vich, Fritz obviously going on to win the title. Tell us a bit about what you were up to there. Yeah. So I hosted a uh, Florida Tennis Legends reunion, which uh, is hosted in Delray Beach the last uh, three years, where the uh, tournament directors, uh, Adam and Ivan Barron, who are good friends of mine, they played Florida tennis as well uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s. And we had a, a really nice event of about 20, 25 people that you know played very competitive tennis out of the state of Florida. It's funny because we're playing match play. We're playing tiebreakers. We're playing a lot of diff- doing a lot of different drills. A group of guys from 35 to 50 years old still can play pretty good tennis. And once these match, matches were over, there's only one court used, stadium court, and we're playing on clay courts right behind. We had hundreds of people come out. We're screaming, we're yelling, and we're making it really fun for the audience. So, you know, I'm throwing my racket everywhere to get the crowd to come watch and say, come on, let's go, you know, join. So that was the highlight for me. I mean, I didn't really watch a ton of the matches um, while I was there because I was so consumed with our event that, you know, like I said, is on the ground. It's a very rare situation where an event like this can actually happen at a 250 or higher uh, just because we're close with, uh, like I said, Ivan and Adam. But the Delray Beach Open is a wonderful event. It's right on Atlantic Avenue. For those who have never been to Delray Beach, uh, Atlantic Avenue has probably 100 bars and restaurants within walking distance from the open. Um, the, the Great food inside the building, great Great atmosphere for all walks of life, kids, adults, and seniors. They do a great job at the DBO. Um, basically, you know, you know how you go to these events and you got to travel everywhere to find your matches. Well, at the Delray Beach Open, the first two days, you know, they're only using a few side courts. But once you get to the basically the quarterfinals and beyond and singles and doubles, it's one stadium court, really easy to navigate to. Uh, the weather was incredible. It was 80 during the day, probably 65 at night. That's Fahrenheit. And uh, we had a blast. It was great. Um, you know, I, I'll take the one takeaway that I saw in person was Manorino uh, versus Wolf. It was a horrible match. I mean, Wolf looked horrible out there. Uh, but Manorino, I'm, I'm sitting four rows behind, you know, the baseline, basically, when, when, I'm, when I'm on Manorino's side. And obviously, Wolf would, would come over as well. But uh, Manorino does not hit the ball with any power. And this guy has no weapons. I could not believe it. first time I've ever seen Manorino live, but he, he makes his opponents play bad. He can make you look ugly. And he made Wolf look ugly on that night, Thursday night. Um, that was the biggest surprise. And the big one was his string weight. He strings his rackets at 19 pounds. Okay. I mean, so you're, you're basically using that frame once every few games and you're switching it out because it's going to once, you know, once you once you play at that level, four or five games, you throw the racket 
forget it. It's over. You, you need a new racket. You need new strings. So uh, Manorino is a fascinating guy to watch. I mean, I, I mean, nothing, nothing uh, impressed me about Manorino except making his opponent look ugly. Um, Chapo, again, you know, you talk about a guy that cannot disappoint me more than anyone on this planet. The Chapo <laughs> performance, that second and third set um, against Mo. Not the second set. He won the set. First and third set, just disgraceful. I mean, this guy is a mental midget. And, you know, two years ago, I kept saying Chapo would be better than FAA. Chapo would be better than <laughs> FAA. Boy, was I wrong. It's not the physical, it's not the physicality of Chapo. It's it's up here. There's nothing between the two ears out there. All he does is bitch and complain to his coaching staff on the side when he misses a ball. Hey, Dennis. What are they going to do? And it's not their fault that you continue to loot balls as they come to you and you shank them out. This guy's got to fix his problems because he's so talented. You see my tweet up there. Um, anyways, yeah, I can rant about Chapo all day. I wanted a Chapo Fritz semifinal. And I yeah, get it. I can understand okay. that. Jamie, I will come to I will come to you in a second on some of the things that Brian said and also that tournament in general. But I'm also wondering, Brian, if you're uh, if you were unable to attend some of the matches, partly because of your enjoyment, let's say, that you were having and your enthusiasm for perhaps that street nearby, uh, which also included, by the way, you being a judge at the yes. Tacos and I want to emphasize tequila uh, VIP event. So I'm wondering yeah. if that was also a distraction for you, uh, perhaps. And I'm just wondering if you took your eye off the ball as well. Yeah, I did. I shanked a lot of balls because I was a judge at Tacos and Tequila. Uh, that was a really amazing event. Some of the best taco, uh, excuse me, best Mexican restaurants in Delray Beach participated in this VIP event and and tequila. So little little tipsy by the end of the night Thursday, but um, that definitely inhibited me from watching uh, all of the uh, Fritz match. Fritz versus who is Fritz playing? Uh, in the quarterfinals that night. I can't even remember. It's kind of... Manorino? Manorino. No, Manorino was the semifinals. Manorino was playing both that night. No, no, Um, no. So, Manorino was the quarters. Okay, round of 16, you're right. uh, So, so round of 16, 16, Gomez. It's Gomez. That's right, Gomez. That was a good match. That was, what, uh, six and four? Six and five, maybe? Um, Four and three. Four and three. But wow. he was so, yeah. he was down one three in the in the second, I believe, and one. That's right. A lot of tequila. I had too much. I had some margaritas, <laughs> tequila that night. Um, it was really fun. Uh, yeah. So it was round of sixteen. Uh, Manorino Wolf round of sixteen, and then uh, yeah, Fritz and uh, Andres Gomez's son. Uh, so yeah, no, it was a good event. I, I definitely I can't tell you how much fun I had. It was it was awesome. Damien, uh, what are your thoughts on that tournament? I guess it was Taylor Fritz's to win from the beginning, and he did win it. Uh, is that fair? I mean, maybe you might think Chapo's got a chance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, honestly, I found it very dull, especially compared with like Buenos Aires, which was basically airing at the same time. Uh, well, I wanted to say at the same time for me, but it was airing at the same time for everybody, I suppose. And uh, yeah, some some very exciting players like yeah, like Chapo, like Wolf lost early. Manarino did to Wolf exactly what I thought he would do to him in Auckland or wherever they played at the beginning of the year. Uh, but there, actually, Wolf played a super smart match. Here, he did not. Um, and and yeah, Shapovalov. I'm, I don't know. I mean, both 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 losses, Dallas, Delray, they look pretty bad. Um, they 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 definitely like don't um, have much to do with the 
potential that we know this guy could have, but no, the opponents were also pretty rough. Of course, there was also that stinker from Tommy Paul in the quarterfinals, which was um, yeah, absolutely wild that um, a player who yeah, looks so complete usually and uh, just generally doesn't seem like someone who has uh, many poor days at the office does something like that, but well, he did. And from there, yeah, it it kind of looked like Fritz's tournament to uh, to lose. Um, who did he lose to in in Dallas? Remind me, because I'm now for ah, oh, of course, Ibingu, uh in yeah. the semis. So Wu uh, was nowhere to be found in in Delray Beach. Of course, he withdrew after two very tough weeks. And the Pekotic story, honestly, it didn't. It's great, of course, but did it excite me that much? You know, as a guy who watched, uh, of course, not live, but watched him uh, in Orlando last year or Cleveland just before this event. Um, you know, I, I never really felt like he was that much of an, um, you know, unknown presence as clearly some people sort of tried to make it, um, you know, make it out to be, uh, he, uh, you know, by, by some, uh, people just wanted to make the story even better. He was like described as a guy who basically hasn't touched a rocket in five years, which of course is, is not true at all, but. Um, yeah, still still a good story and something that we will remember from Delray Beach because otherwise it was a pretty uninspiring event. And I'm sure, you know, being live at it, I would totally have a different opinion because, well, uh, live tennis is just so good that basically whatever you're going to watch, you're going to love it for sure. Uh, but yeah, compared to Buenos Aires, Rotterdam, uh, I was not excited about Delray Beach this year at all. Yeah, I think sure. Rotterdam, although I'm uh, Buenos Aires, I mean, maybe Cam Norrie's run was kind of interesting. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. let's get to Buenos Aires now. Of course, Carlos Alcaraz winning the tournament. But from after he had a sort of sticky first match um, in Argentina, Damien, was it ever really in doubt that he was going to win the tournament? I don't think I saw much of that second round against Jerry, but you know, from that point onwards, he was just really sort of unbeatable. Of course, there was a one blip in the second set um, against Nori when he was 5-3 or whatever up and served for yeah. it, then had to win it 7-5. But yeah, very refreshing to see that he was able to just uh, clean it up like this. Um, it certainly felt like both Lajovic, Zapata Miralesh, they they weren't maybe exactly peaking, but they were playing some very good tennis in the semis and the quarters, and they just couldn't handle, you know, Carlos. They just couldn't handle his, uh, especially the racket head speed he gets on the forehand. Uh, they they just weren't <laughs> weren't able to deal with it. And this is the sort of Carlos Alcaraz that we were watching, you know, last year uh, for a long, long time. Uh, basically, maybe uh, you know, until the U.S. Open. Um, after the U.S. Open, there wasn't that much to to like, of course. But the courts didn't suit him that much. There were some injury issues. But yeah, to see him come back like that, he has a wonderful draw in Rio until the semis. Uh, basically, I think maybe only Musetti can touch him in that uh, in that event as a whole. Musetti could play him in the semis, but. Uh, he even has a pretty tough first round against Jari. Alcaraz has a few rounds that basically he should speed run through them. Uh, so it shouldn't really matter that he played in Buenos Aires. Um, you know, even though he's gonna you know, sometimes going for back to back titles can be tough physically. But um, yeah, I think with the with the easier start that he gets in Rio, it's not gonna be a problem. And yeah, he just he just looks like a world beater again. And uh, hopefully that's that's gonna continue because he's he's definitely still. Um, a very fresh addition to the um, uh, top of the game, even though, of course, we've been watching him for like you know, three years or something like that. But uh, he still feels fresh compared to all the all the top guns that have been there for a much longer uh, time. 
Yeah, uh, I also thought it was quite interesting and quite amusing how Cam Norris decided to call Carlos Alcaraz Charlie. Uh, he was referring to him as Charlie in his speech afterwards. So, you know, big thanks to Charlie. It was a great match. You were the better player today, Charlie. Uh, I assume he means Carlos um, when he's referencing Charlie, but who knows, uh, given... Uh, a London. lot of people call him like that. Do they? I've not heard yeah, it before. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's not his invention, no. Oh, okay. I'd not heard anyone. I know that Carlos Moya is sometimes referred to as Charlie, but I hadn't heard Carlitos or Carlos referred to as that, but fair enough. Um, anyway, I still thought it was funny. Uh, listen, a great job there, but um, as Ghosty's suggesting, he might not find things too difficult in Rio either. I think Cam Norrie is the number two seed there um, yeah. in Rio as well, so they may well be on a collision course once again. be interesting to see. I mean, I guess that's a good run for Norrie in terms of the fact that Clay's not maybe his best surface. Uh, Brian, did you have any thoughts on on this clay court South American swing, if you like, ahead of the Sunshine well, you Double? Meant, yeah, you mentioned Cam Norrie, and that that was a shocking uh, – I mean, shocking's a little too extreme, but this is not his surface. But I'm impressed that he reached the finals. I have to say I was really impressed with uh, Charlie's uh, footwork, you know, after being injured. I mean, he looked – Alcaraz looked really really good um out there i didn't watch a lot of alcaraz obviously i didn't have access to tennis channel when i was gone thursday through saturday i watched him play wednesday night watched a little bit of the nori match as well um yeah carlos looks good i'm i'm happy he's back i'm, I'm happy that he's uh ready to go in full swing uh hitting the ball so heavy oh my gosh like some of the balls that you know the average person if if they're able to get it back onto the court are going to hit you know maybe inside the service line this guy is hitting the ball inches from the baseline. So really, really eager to see what happens to him as he navigates through the spring uh, in Miami and in Indian Wells to see if he can repeat his Miami uh, championship, which will be really exciting to see in a couple of weeks. Indeed. Uh, final port of call uh, is basically Iga Sviontek and her run. Oh, can I can I also um, on, say Damien. a few words on on uh, on uh, Buenos Aires as well? Yeah, of course. Because Damien, I think yeah. outside of these, uh, although yeah, I guess I'll touch on Nori as well. Uh, he definitely was more like struggling to find the way to win this, these matches than actually playing his best. But yeah, as, as he said, I think especially the South American clay conditions aren't perfect for him. We've just seen him in um, in Davis Cup against Colombia, which was totally different, of course, because it was you know 2,500 2, meters altitude. Uh, but yeah, there there he also um, well Evans lost to Mejia, but it wasn't like Nori had a very, had very clean wins against Nicolas Barrientos and Nicolas Mejia, so um, definitely not his favorite conditions. He was almost out to Diaz Acosta, who just um, you know couldn't uh, convert his best win the, the the best win of his career in the second round. Uh, but he certainly did like you know what he does best, staying ultra solid, being very good mentally as well. And I think as as the week went on, Nori got really uh, much better used to um what, you know the, the courts and what he had to play in uh in the south american swing which he never really took part in before i think only in 2019 he showed up for two events and and didn't uh have much impact and uh yeah for me huge stories were also the semi-final rounds of zapata mirales and farias which were both for both these were his these were their first on the on the main tour uh, for zapata mirales it's especially important to uh either produce in this part of the uh, the season or then the European clay courts because he's defending um, forefront points at Roland Garros plus uh, qualifying. So it's like 205 points to defend at the uh, at the French. 
so, uh, you know, with the fact that since Ron Garros last year, he has not been doing that well, uh, there was uh, certainly some danger that he would simply fall out of the top 100 after Paris. It's still there. Uh, but to me, he definitely has a game uh, of, uh, you know, a middle of the road main tour player, which he has not been showing, though. And um, always, uh, you know, he, you can see that he really uh, understands what, what the golden sweep means with all the dramatic matches that he played this week. Uh, and was definitely uh, super fun, uh, even though uh, some of them were extremely messy, like the, the one against Martinez, I think, had 18 breaks, breaks in 25 games. Uh, which uh, you know, it, it is what it is. What it is. It is what this uh, part of the season. Uh, what we sort of love it for, even though usually I'm a, I'm definitely more of a hardcore guy, and Varias especially. I mean, the um, you know, it, it it's so obvious that he has the talent to get runs like this on a on a regular basis. Uh, he beat Bautista Agut in Stad last year, which was his first top top twenty win. Here he got another over Musetti. I think combined with this, uh, you know, with the whole run that he had, I think this still was the best week of his career. Uh, and I yeah, just couldn't really do it against Nori, but uh, the ball striking talent that he has is just in- insane as well. And uh, hopefully for both of these guys, it's it's uh, going to be, um, you know, not not the last uh, ATP uh, semifinal. Uh, although, you know, of course, Alcaraz would have beaten, well, he, he beat Zapata Mirage, and I'm pretty sure he would have handled Varias as well. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's sort of what I meant by, uh, you know, by the fact that Buenos Aires was so much more exciting to me, because especially on Friday, I remember looking at the schedules and like in Delray, there was no match that I wanted to <laughs> follow, like none. And in Buenos Aires, I, I just, you know, I just put on the stream from the center court and just sat through the whole eight hours or or however, it took, however long it took. Okay, let's uh, switch to the women's side of the game. Uh, by the way, some compliments for Damien uh, and your Twitter account. Oh, wow. And also a mention of Bogni, uh, Bognini. No, Fognini even. I don't know why I'm getting uh, Bogdan and, and, and... Mario would be uh, very angry at you because you now said Fognini, which he very specifically told Bonini. us uh, that, yeah, that it uh, pieces him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me started on tennis players' pronunciations. I'm at the other end of the scale to to Gil Gross, who said he's very passionate about it. I I think it's one of the least important things um, uh, around, but I'll, I'll I'll address that in a podcast another day. Uh, so for now on, I'll be saying Dumian and Bruin, uh, my two guests today, and I'll be mispronouncing their names intentionally uh, for as long as I can remember. Uh, listen, Brian, let's switch over to uh, the uh, women's uh, side of things. There's actually some matches going on right now, but let's look back rather than uh, at the present or forward. And uh, let's have a quick look, actually. So I want to bring up the, the actual rankings as well, by the way, uh, as I just sort of uh, move around this website very quickly. Uh, I don't think there's been any great movers and shakers on the ATP side. Djokovic now is equal Steffi Graf in terms of 377 weeks at number one. And he's about to obviously go past that figure in the next seven days because I don't think Alcaraz can catch up with him. Uh, they're yet- going to be even on points if Alcaraz wins Rio, but because Djokovic has more points uh, from Slams, Masters 1000 events and uh, the ATP finals, which is the, the first tiebreaker, Djokovic would still stay number one. Oh, okay. Interesting. Thanks for that, Damien. That's a good one. Um, yeah, but no other great movers. I'm, I'm guessing, did Fritz not move up a place or so um, as a result yeah. of his win? I mean, Del he, uh, he very uh, well could uh, move uh, to number five even yeah. if Rublev doesn't defend. Uh, well, basically, if Rublev... No, actually, even if Rublev wins Doha. So, yeah, Fritz will be He's number five. five next year. Fritz is going to five. Yeah. 
Fritz yeah. is going to be number five in the next Monday. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. On the women's side, of course, uh, Iga has such a, a, a gulf over here near his rivals. That's not under threat anytime soon. And of course, Iga uh, winning the tournament last week in, um, in Doha. So much tennis going on, Brian. Uh, and I know, of course, you were in Delray Beach uh, up to your neck in uh, tequila and tacos, as well as a bit of tennis playing. Uh, so I'm sure it's quite difficult for you to keep across all of it. But any thoughts on on Iga's win where she barely dropped a game, never mind a set? That is a woman that was on a mission. My goodness, what she did to my girlfriend, Danny Collins, I could not believe it. <laughs> um, that was a beatdown of epic proportion. I didn't see that yeah. coming. I mean, Danny, Danny has some tough draws this winter. Man, her her Australian Open draw was vicious and um, you know, the last two events have been really tough. Didn't she lose to Ostapenko the tournament before? I mean, there's no, there hasn't yep. been any easy, you know, pass for Danny Collins and boy, Iga, uh, man, she looked good. I mean, I think she was not happy with that AO result, right? I mean, she, she came for blood and she got what she needed. Um, anything else that stood out? Pagula, I'll tell you what, what a win over Ostapenko. I mean, she was dead. She was five feet under against Ostapenko, and Ostapenko just, you know, fell apart. Another mental case right there, uh, Ostapenko. But I think Ostapenko is playing really well so far. I think I think that was a major missed opportunity for her to uh, to emerge and get and get past uh, Jesse. But really happy to see Jesse continue on in the top three. Um, Sabalenka is uh, the one that I'm most curious about. Can Sabalenka come back after that that AO title and, and do some damage? I hope so. She's probably my favorite player on the tour. Um, Zachary did what she had to do. She finally held serve. She beat players ranked below her with, you know, which is shocking for Zachary to do that. It seems like, but boy, what a terrible performance. It wasn't just a beat down by Pagula. Do I have that right? If I remember the score. No, when th- it went third set. Went third it set. did. Okay. So yeah. again, I, I was out of town. I thought I saw the score line like two and two. So I stand corrected. She was, she was down a set and a break, I think, um, or certainly set. And, and it was tight in the second set, but, um, but she managed to win that. But uh, okay. yeah, I mean, Zachary semifinals and all that. I like her though. Like I want to see Me her too. win. You know, like, I think she's a very likable person. I think Breaking Point really gave us a, a glimpse of how good of a person her and Anj Jabor are. And um, she just she's just frustrating as a fan. Or if you bet on her, it's just she just somehow will fall apart in, in pivotal moments. And um, I'd like to see her get back to the Indian Wells finals. That would be cool. Brian, the temptation uh, as, a, as a very infrequent gambler for my... I used to gamble a bit more in my early 20s when I was a taxi driver. It used to be a sort of a thing to do, if you like. You'd jump, jump out the taxi taxi, and you'd go into the bookmakers and it'd be just full of other taxi drivers. Um, anyway, and uh, uh, yeah, and I just remember... I remember one particular sort of train was that... you. Let's say you're on the Sakari train and you 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 bet on her frequently. I mean, there is a point when it's like, I've, maybe I should just cash out on this or not cash out, whatever the opposite of cashing out is. Just like, oh, I, I, I can't keep it. But your fear, your fear is that you stop backing her and that's when she go, goes sure and makes way. the breakthrough. Yeah, you just have to pick your spots with Zachary and all these players, frustrating players. I think on the men's side, for me, it's always been RBA. Like, you know, this guy can go out there and beat the world's elite with no problems and then 
just get destroyed by somebody that's ranked 60 in the world. Or and sometimes we'll go out and play Medibear and lose 0-1. You're just like, who is this guy? I can't figure out RBA. Um, beats up Murray pretty good in the Australian Open. Obviously, Murray was dead tired from from his match uh, prior. Again, um, was it Kokonakis? Yeah, Kokonakis, Murray, follow, yeah, followed that match. So anyway, long story short, you, you know, from the gambling perspective, you know, just be smart, play responsible, pick your spots, bet live. Big, big proponent of betting live. I mean, you probably didn't have that back, John, when you were uh, no, betting. The, you know? No, not 20 years ago, no. No, and you can really read the room on women's tennis. These women fall apart very quickly. It's pretty easy to tell when when things are going down, the chips are falling apart, and I'm a big – but here's the deal. You have to have the time, you have to have the knowledge, and you have to have the ability to watch the match and be in front of a screen and watch where the market's going, right? And that's – that's not easy for most people. Luckily for me, I work from home a ton so I can have my computer screen going, a TV going and say, okay, hey, look, there's a Zachary just completely falling apart against someone. Let's let's go the other way or vice versa. So, yeah, no, it's 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 tough to bet on on tennis, but you you got to know it and you got to follow the market well. Iga Sviontek, I think, uh, over the last two and a half years since she won the French Open has been a very – interesting scenario where every time there have been doubts every time it's like you know she had that great run to winning the french open but even throughout that run it was this is 2020 i'm talking about it was like well when is you know when's she gonna play so and so when's she gonna dismiss that problem she goes and wins that tournament at a canter and it's like oh she may be a problem for other players on clay but not sure if she's going to transfer that to the hard courts well this time last year she dispelled that concern with consummate ease then we have the period probably from the u.s open final until about now and i know it's only it was a smaller tournament last week but she beat some some very significant players and she beat them with consummate ease i think it was five games damien that she dropped all the way through and it does seem as though every time there's questions not only does she answer them there was even for example last week i think she served unbelievably um, which is probably one of the areas of the game that people have pointed out that maybe the second serve in particular needs to be improved upon. What are your thoughts on on Ego? Am I am I getting too carried away by what was just a small tournament? First serve should be improved upon, and maybe it was. Um, that's going to be that's like right. the big the big thing that we're going to be watching going forward. Uh, you know, especially against Collins, she hit some um, incredible first serves like the 187 i think out wide 184 down the t aces uh both placement and the speed were just something that we haven't seen from her in a while maybe never actually uh you know still she spent three hours on the courts in doha so <laughs> who knows if, <laughs> if that's actually gonna continue i think it's actually three hours on the dot uh wow. because she was there for like 53 minutes 56 minutes and then one hour and nine or something like that she had a walk um, as well yeah yeah, I mean, she she showed last year, of course, that on slow hard courts she can easily translate it. The, these Doha courts are are perfect for her. I mean, th- this is where her run started last year. Uh, they they respond to topspin incredibly well, even discounting that uh, great first serve that she showed. Uh, they also, you know, the, the kick is so dangerous on them. Even the sliders, she uh, she she goes for a lot. Uh, th- this is basically amazing for her. even even the wind. Uh, you know, 
heavy topspin players tend to do so well in the wind, like um, you know Nadal Gasquet, who famously said that he's still a top twenty player in the wind, or something like that. And and it's it's not an uh, you know it's not by accident. Uh, in terms of the op- opponents which you mentioned, um, I think both Kula <coughs> and uh, Kudermetova fall into that category of sort of benefiting from, um, from how unstable the WTA Tour is right now. You know, they, they have um, produced a lot of good, consistent results, but they are rarely big title threats. Of course, Pegula had Guadalajara at the end of last year. Kudermetova, uh, I think, lost three finals last year. Generally, when they play a peaking opponent, when they play an elite opponent, they fold. Uh, it wasn't the case, of course, with Pagula in Sydney when she played Świątek. But, you know, these courts, the conditions in Sydney, the Do- in Doha, they're like on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to hard courts. You, cert- you really cannot really go different, go much more different than that. Uh, the way, uh, you know, Pegula is a very flat hitter. The way uh, in Sydney, it was it was much better for her in that regard. Here, uh, Sviontek just controls the rallies. And I think over the past, um, let's say, maybe half a year or so, especially since that Garcia win, which I, I will keep mentioning it, because I think really a lot of players uh, learned from Garcia how to play Sviontek when she beat her in Warsaw. And uh, they, they sort of learned that you got to attack the serve and you got to just keep uh, her under constant pressure, especially to the forehand side, of course, which uh, with the grip is really tough uh, for Iga to um, absorb pace and faster courts. And um, here uh, on courts like that, it's so tough to do. And also she didn't really face opponents other than Collins, because Collins definitely has the skill set um, that is required. But yeah, she was just, uh, you know, in the first set, I think she committed 13 unforced errors in 28 points. Uh, 40, that's 46%. That's just insane. And yeah, she just couldn't find her game at all. But uh, Kudermetova, Pegula, they don't really have the skill set to uh, try to beat Iga. It's going to be tougher in Dubai, for sure. Uh, just like last year, you know, she won Doha and she lost to Ostapenko, one of these players who are very tough for, for Świątek on the tour because they have the exact skill set required if, they hitting, if they're hitting well. Ostapenko did uh, did the same to Goff, of course, at the Australian Open just now. I'm not saying she will lose in Dubai, but I think it's going to be much tougher. And uh, this also kind of, I think we've talked about it a few times, that uh, more uh, smaller events, not even smaller, but in terms of like Masters 1000 events, must, uh, eight, uh, WTA 500 events, there are a lot more courts uh, right now on tour that are better for Shivantek that, um, that, than uh, they are at the slams, like, at least two, maybe even three of the slams right now aren't great for her because I will I will keep saying that the US Open, you know, it wasn't a fluke, uh, but it was just surviving until she got to play, uh, you know, in the final and the, the semis against some very familiar foes uh, and sort of uh, just ground that win. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be repeatable. Uh, Wimbledon Australian Open, we still haven't seen it, and it's not an accident. Uh, but there are a lot of slow hard courts uh, at the at the WTA thousand level, and you know Indian Wells, Miami, uh, and of course the clay season. I am fully expecting her to. I don't know if win thirty matches in a row, but dominate. Dubai is going to be a bit of a test for sure because the that's uh, you know the, the the bounce especially the height of the bounce in Doha is just so high that it basically. Uh, it, it probably plays more like clay than any other hard courts in the um, on the WT tour at least. But um, yeah, am, uh, amazing display of strength, of course. Uh, even though, uh, even even though, as I as I mentioned, like the opponents she faced, especially Pegula and Kudermetova, they tend to fold against top opposition. But 
uh, yeah, Svantec just fully reminded us what she can do in, in these sort of conditions to 99% of the tour. And um, yeah, no reason, even if she loses early in Dubai, I, I think she actually has a pretty tricky draw, but um, you know, it, it, it's tougher than, than it was here probably. Uh, but even if she loses early there, uh, we'll see what happens. But even if she loses, I don't think it's going to be much... Uh, like It's not going to leave that much of an impact going forward to the Sunshine Double, to the clay season. Of course, last year, these tournaments were swapped. So um, Dubai was earlier than Doha. That's why uh, you know she, she had that 37-match win streak, even though in Dubai she lost to Ostafenko in the second round or quarters, whatever. Got it. Yeah, of course, Dubai being a, a, a 1,000 event, so all the big ones are there. Uh, Savalenko, of course, included in that now, uh, bracket uh, without a doubt, after her Australian Open win. Um, any final thoughts on on the women's game right now, um, uh, Brian, or even this tournament that's about to take, or currently taking place in Dubai, because it got underway this morning? Well, unlike Damien, I, I I don't have that that quick knowledge. I haven't looked at the draw, um, so I, I don't know what to expect. Well, out I can there. tell you, I can tell you that Daniel Collins is in probably one of the more dramatic first round matches. She's up against Fluchvatova, uh, Rybakina as well as playing Andrescu in another potential yeah. popcorn match in the first round. Yeah, I have, uh, I have, I, I, I haven't looked at the draw, but I do have, uh, I do have some bets in. I don't know who's all. all <laughs> I, I just know the first round. That's all I know. So I don't know the the path for these ladies. Um, yeah, I don't. I, 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 listen. It's women's tennis, right? And when, when, when the wind picks up and the elements change, I think anyone can win this tournament. Iga's got to be. The favorite to win it. Probably don't love Sabalenka in these situations. I'm going to be curious to see if it's super windy. How does that serve hold up, right? I was impressed what we saw down under, right? The conditions were probably more favorable for her there than it will be, uh, especially in Indian Wells, where it can get super windy. The Miami Open can get windy, but not as bad as it used to be when it was hosted in Key Biscayne. Um, people don't realize that the Miami Open is not close to the beach. Uh, this is in West Miami, in, a, in near Miramar, Florida, which is still a about a twenty, you know, twenty to thirty minute journey to get to the coast. So um, we'll see. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'll be watching. Uh, I have, uh, I think, I have a parlay of Ostapinko Rabikina to start this day off. Hopefully, they both can emerge and uh, paying a pretty big price to have them both married together. So uh, that's the start of the day for me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, any final thoughts on anything we've missed out on, Damien, over the last seven days? Is there a is there a player from outside the top one hundred apart from Liam Brody uh, who's been impressing you? Oh Jesus! Actually, last week was a little weird on the on the Challenger Tour. Like in Sherbrooke, there were some super slow courts, and uh, you know it, it it really impacted the results. Uh, so um, no, I don't know if necessarily there, there, there's uh, one of the big stories of the week, um, this um, upcoming one, although it could end in, uh, you know, just on Tuesday, is going to be the ATP debut of um, the 19-year-old Abedala Shailbaik, who is already the best ever tennis player from Jordan. Uh, he just made the finals in Manama, uh, got his first top 100 win over Jason Kubler. Uh, then lost, lost to Kokinakis. He lost to Kokinakis? Is that the yeah, guy? lost to yeah. Kokinakis in the final, and he's going to play... Um, he's going to play Sun Wukwon in the opening round in Doha. 
very tough draw, but you know, almost everyone would have been. Uh, I, I don't think he's the favorite to win it. Uh, I think uh, you know his game is still kind of vulnerable to getting overpowered. Uh, he might not be like the, the sort of talent that jumps at you from the screen instantly when you see him, like I don't know, Alcaraz or Runa did. Uh, but he definitely has a very complete lefty game. Um, can actually hit with power, even though there there are you know you could still work on it. You can uh, you can work on the serve for sure. Uh, since he was 14, he um, trained at the Rafa Nadal Academy. That's where he got his high school education, and then he went to the states to play for the University of Florida. He was actually uh, the best. Uh, he was actually best friends with Ben Shelton when they both played for the Gators. But uh, Shelton, after just one year, well, like Shelton, right? Or Shelton was two years. Uh, anyway, uh, Shelby decided to um, quit. Uh, you know, f- skip his um, his next years after just one season for the Gators, and uh, he's just fully on the pro tour now. And, and of course, in the Arab world, sort of, um, the even though he's not from Qatar, uh, he got a wild card to uh, to the Doha event. He he also had a wild card in Bahrain to uh, to, to the Man- to the challenger in Manama, and uh yeah hopefully just gives a good account of himself uh he was definitely kind of tired at the end of that manama week so um that's gonna be uh that's gonna be maybe one of the one of the things to watch out for even though it likely ends on tuesday uh or wednesday whenever he gets to play his first round match um just one final thing on that damien uh and then we will close this up Mm -hmm. because um it'll be an hour basically is i did see some interesting comments on perhaps for, in terms of ranking points and perhaps even the development of your game, there was the discussion appeared again yesterday on, on tennis Twitter regarding the notion of playing challenger events where we've seen, like I say, that mentioned that finally you mentioned with Kokinakis yesterday. And then I think the player that they highlighted was, I'm not sure if it was Goffan or Dimonor, someone mm-hmm. of that ilk anyway. And it's like, you know, that they they, they're not picking up points. And I don't know if you saw this debate on, on Twitter, or if, if I'm making any sense, Damien. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was basically just the, the the notion of maybe go and play some challenges, get some wins under your belt, you know, get to a final. I think it, they highlighted the number of points gained by certain players. It might have been Kokinakis uh, who had gained a load of points, whereas X player was just, you know, not making any progress in the rankings or even just not been getting any points. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on 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 that argument or that debate i think it really depends on the player um i think for some uh, after you get to the main tour it's kind of easy to stay there if you have like a very good ceiling in individual matches because i don't know you make three four quarterfinals and maybe you're already gonna stay and um on the challenger tour you kind of have to produce consistent results uh Goffeo maybe was mentioned uh because he won that um challenger in Otinia Uvonlanev uh, a month ago uh by the way I have to say uh thank you again to Nurlan because he's like giving me some amazing compliments along with that previous one uh but otherwise uh <laughs> I I got sidetracked now uh but um what basically what I'm saying yeah 125 points I I also had some discussion on their mind with yesterday from uh people I didn't really participate in it about the fact that maybe challengers shouldn't give um as many points uh you know that maybe 125 points is not is uh too much i don't know if i agree with this you know but the the, the certainly the jump between uh the challenger 125 level and the atp 250 is not 
not that huge. It's certainly not as huge as it is from uh, a 25k on the ITF tour to to a challenger. And I think for a lot of uh, you know, there are some players in ranked in the 70, 80 range who have been using this very smartly. Uh, who have been sort of mixing between the two tours. I think maybe someone like Roberto Carbaez Baena probably played like 10 challengers last year. And, you know, he, he is benefiting from this. He actually is doing probably better, especially if you're if you want to focus on clay courts, right? Which, you know, he is a good example for that as well. Even though he has a ranking to to play main tour events, he plays a lot of challengers and that's how he, you know, he sticks around that level. So I think if you're a smart scheduler and not many players on the tour are actually, you can you can really use it to your benefit. And by the way, there are going to, going to be five um, Challenger 175 events. So 175 points for a win. But uh, it should be, you know, these are in the second weeks of uh, Masters 1000 events. Uh, second week of Indian Wells and then second week of Madrid and Rome. Uh, but basically, uh, you know, usually uh, in order uh, to get uh, into a challenger, you cannot be ranked in the top 50. There's only uh, an option in the biggest ones uh, for a couple of wildcards pre-approved by the ATP, which is something what David Goffin needed to do because he was actually precisely number 50 in Otinielov-Lanev. Uh, but in these 175s, which uh, the first one is going to be Phoenix in the second week of Indian Wells, and then Madrid and Rome aren't, you know, the locations aren't disclosed yet. Uh, the players ranked between 11 and 50 are going to be able to enter uh, like normal. So uh, presumably we're going to see some huge, uh, huge names uh, on the Challenger Tour in as early as Phoenix, so the second week of Indian Wells. Uh, do pros hire a scheduler or does that fall to the coach? I doubt anyone has a scheduler. I, I'm sure a lot of players has uh, have managers who, you know, buy tickets for them. But I'm, I'm pretty sure they're like, uh, hired guns who just you know just uh, do what they are told to uh it would be very weird if someone actually had a scheduler although a lot of players really uh schedule themselves uh in an idiotic fashion and that's that's always been kind of surprising to me i mean we, oh, mm-hmm. even just outside the top 100 damien you get um you get players that lose passports and can't go to events as a result because at the last minute they're they're just like the rest of us and they're scrambling around their apartment looking for their passport or or they don't turn up or or, or uh, it doesn't happen a lot but occasionally these these things do happen so I, I i think outside certainly outside the top 200 but even outside the top 100 i'm aware of some stories of, of where this occurs um i do want to just very quickly get brian's thoughts because we've got two more minutes basically uh brian uh any thoughts on some upcoming tournaments you mentioned one or two tips uh, for example, for uh, the Dubai event that we've got currently just getting underway uh, on the women's side. But are there any other thoughts that you're like, listen, I'm very interested, even if it's as far away as Indian Wells or Miami. You know, you're like, I think Taylor Fritz is nailed on to, to retain his crown or blah, blah, blah. Any Anything in the next few weeks that you've got, Acapulco as well? Well, well, you know, from an American standpoint, Taylor Fritz, I'm really happy for him and Mike. Uh, Mike's his coach, Mike Russell. Like, you know, these tournaments like Delray Beach, sometimes you, you come in, you work on what you need to work on, and you have fun, and you move on even if you lose second or third round. But he, he took care of business. You know, he won some matches in three sets, and he's going to be ranked five in the world um, next week, which is an incredible achievement. So now, you know, there's a major target on Fritz's back uh, in in Miami and in California. And I want to see if uh, he is capable of coming close to defend those uh, points in that title out west. Um, it's going to be tough. Obviously, there will be no Djokovic, which will help his cause. Um, Tommy Probably Paul. 
Um, Tommy Paul is 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 going to be interesting. He was sick leading up to the Delray Beach Open. For those that don't know, probably nobody really knows that, but um, he okay. he probably shouldn't have played. And he found a way to beat Kudla, and obviously couldn't couldn't get through uh, his next match. So Tommy was not in a great spot in at Delray. So I'm really eager to see how how he does. Really excited for Shelton uh, more than probably anybody. I want to see if Shelton can find himself back in another massive event in the quarterfinals. His DBO exit last week was pretty disappointing, right? I think we all wanted to see Shelton, you know, emerge to the at least the quarters or semifinals. He was seated there. I think he was seated eight. So I think he may have been on Tommy's side of the draw and um, just couldn't get there. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is, to me, my favorite tennis time of the year is now. Like, there are just – it's just nonstop nonstop great tournaments uh, from uh, February through, uh, you know, late March to early April. And then, of course, Paris coming up a little bit after that. But I, I just love the combination of clay and hard here at, this, at the end of the winter. Cool. Thank you very much to both of you for joining us today. Everyone else, by the way, who's also joined, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you're watching this retrospectively, get in the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. But I just want to say a big thank you to you both and um, enjoy the rest of your days and, and your week as well. Hey, thank you, John. Hey, Damien's a tough act to follow. I mean, I is, know, there, is, I is, is, there, is there a guy that knows more about professional tennis than... Uh, than Damien. I have my blind spots. I have my blind spots for sure. I mean, Damien, but I do uh, take proud in being probably the best when it comes to, you know, ATP challenger guy. Yeah, Damien, I need to know, when's the, the challenger on October 10th? Uh, tell me right now, who's uh, who do you think is going to play in it? Where is it located? What are they selling? Are they selling... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what kind actually, of drinks are they offering? I need to know everything uh, right now. October actually, 10th. the calendar, the calendar uh, for the Did challengers you know? is not uh, like it's not fixed yet. It's, okay, uh, okay. It usually uh, comes out, you know, right now we have the calendar only until the end of April. So, yeah. oh, um, okay. Know. Okay. Now, never mind. I tried to trick you there, but uh, you tricked me right back. No, he's amazing. It's guys like uh, Rain Man here. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Rain Man. <laughs> <laughs> Genius. Yeah. Please, please don't. I, I know, but um, Genius. I know the movie, but of you course, thank you. Well, uh, but, you know, I'm gonna take him to a casino yeah. to play blackjack. He probably knows every every card that's underneath the uh, the table. Indeed. Listen, uh, big thanks to you both. I'll be speaking to you both very soon. Ciao to Jane. Ciao, both us. Hello and goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.